0: We are featuring a crossover over episode as you know one of our hosts Maria is also a co-host in another show that is also part of the the down-the-hall network. It's called it's a fans world where they have fandom related conversations primarily about Disney Marvel and Star Wars. Now I've introduced Maria. Let us introduce our other co-host because the table is full tonight. Introducing first to my left Lauren.
1: Hi.
0: To my right is Derek. Hello! And across the table from me is Maria. Hello! Now, and I am the narrator for the intro today, David. Now, you're probably wondering, how does this relate to history? Whoa well, boy, <laughs> we're gonna tell you how. We mean, said- you've got a big storm coming. <laughs> We've decided that, you know... We thought it'd be fun to mix in some World War II history and some Disney history together. And boy, did we find it. Specifically, the time when Walt Disney was asked by the United States government to go on a three-country trip to South America as a Goodwill ambassador.
2: I'm really proud of you for doing that. (laughs) (laughs)
0: That was really great. I appreciate that.
2: <laughs> Thank you for your
0: service. <laughs> to prepare for the podcast, we have all separately, and we have also social distance, watched a documentary titled um, Walt and El Golupo. If you have not watched it yet, go ahead and watch it. It's a fantastic watch. I do recommend having a drink right nearby, though, because it's interesting. <laughs> On that happy, merry note, I'm turning this episode over to our local Disney historian, Maria. Yay!
2: Thanks, Dave. All right. So, first things first, um, I want to talk about, so if anybody has listened to both shows and they have listened to It's a Fan's World, they know that on that show I am actually one of two co-hosts. My other co-host, Kelly, she couldn't be with us tonight, and we really wish Kelly could have. Um, Kelly has some things going on in her personal life, which has caused... Uh, the two of us to step away from the mic on Fans World, so I want to take the time to address that here. Just I don't know if there's any cross promotional listeners, but if there are, Fans World is not dead. We're just taking a hiatus, and as we take our hiatus, we're brainstorming and waiting for things to improve a little bit in our personal lives, and then we're going to come back to the mic ready and stronger than ever with some really fun things. So that's just housekeeping for Fans World, but back to operation history so yes so like dave said today we're talking about a really great documentary called walt and el grupo so uh some of you may be wondering like what makes me qualify because usually when we talk about these things it's usually something we've researched in our personal lives or fields uh, field of study that we tend to gravitate towards in our academic related studies Me personally, I used to work for the Walt Disney Company. I worked with them for a couple of years. uh, That when you know, there's always that person in college who, once they graduate, they can't stop talking about college. I'm the person. Just ask these three. All you have to do is bring up Disney, and I'm the person that can't stop talking about their time at Disney. Thanks, guys. You can't. Yeah, go ahead. It's true. It's true. It's damn. Agreed. Yes. So, so between working for the company and uh, ever since I was a small child, I was always on the hunt for any and all information that I could find about Disney. So over the years, I've just accumulated a crap ton of knowledge from various sources. Uh, so just to give a quick little rundown before we jump into the documentary, uh, for those of you who know nothing about Walt Disney, Walt Disney was born on December fifth, nineteen o one, in Chicago, Illinois, to Flora and Elias Disney. He was uh, one of four boys, and there was a sister in the family as well. Uh, One of the boys was also Roy Disney, who was Walt's uh, older brother, one of the older brothers, and he would go on to be a uh, business partner with Walt. Uh, This is just a very like bare, bare bones rundown, so people are not like, who is this guy? I've never heard of him, if that's at all possible. So, hey, you never know. Uh, in 1918, he joined the Red Cross at 16 years old. He was an ambulance unit driver, and he also chauffeured Red Cross officials around. And fun fact: his ambulance was covered in cartoon drawings. In- I like that. Yes, <laughs> Sorry. I, I, I like I've that. Seen, no, I've seen pictures of it. Um, they're there. It's it's great. It's really cool looking. Uh, On July 13th, 1925, he married one of his first employees who worked at his studio, Lillian Bounds. She was an ink and paint girl. Together they had two daughters, Diane and Sharon Disney. On November 18th, 1928, Steamboat Willie starring Mickey was the first cartoon to be produced with sound. And it's considered to be Mickey's premiere. But I believe Playing Crazy came first. I'm Pretty sure. I could be wrong. Pretty sure. Uh, December 21st, 1937 uh, was when Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs premiered. It was the first animated film in Hollywood to ever be produced and released. Uh, July f- 1955, Disneyland opened. And then in December 15th, 1966, uh, Walt Disney unfortunately passed away due to complications with lung cancer, I believe. So, like I said, a real bare-bones skeleton biography just because I don't want to get... You could do a whole episode on just him. So, I don't want to get too hung up on that. So, like I said, and like Dave said, the documentary that we watched was called Walt and El Grupo, which, during World War II, in order to get the South American powers, because South America was pivotal, both the uh, Nazi party and America were trying to get South American countries to ally with them. And both parties were sending ambassadors and propaganda campaigns over to South America. And president Roosevelt at the time asked Walt Disney to go and be a goodwill ambassador. They, he asked him to go to Rio, Argentina and Chile. So, and then I should have said Brazil, Brazil, Argentina, and Chile, but everybody knows Rio. (laughs) Um, uh, Initially he turned it down because he said, no, you know, that's not really my gig. I'm a, I'm a filmmaker and whatnot. And the president kind of pushed him. He's like, no, please really. I would really like it if you could do this. So Walt Disney ended up accepting He took a team of 18 employees with him that comprised of musicians, storytellers, artists. Uh, there was one animator, uh, a very legendary Disney animator by the name of Frank Thomas who went with him. And, uh, if you're a Disney person, you know who Frank Thomas is. Uh, Mary Blair was also one of the artists that went with him. Uh, Mary Blair would also go on to be who she became in the Disney company. Uh, there were other people, but i tr- they run down the list of employees really quickly in the documentary, and I can't find that list on the internet to cross-reference any of the other people. But if you're a Disney person, you recognize a lot of the names in the documentary. Um... So that's really it. That's the basis of it. I don't want to go too deep into this without consulting you guys because we all had the pleasure of watching this documentary. So I don't care my own voice like hearing your voice is better. So that's kind of the premise of it. You know, basically Walt Disney was asked by the U.S. government to go down and sell the United States through film. Uh, he mainly, they went for seven months, And they asked him to do a bunch of cultural research to come back and make films that were pro U.S. and pro South America. And um, some of the content that we got out of that from the Disney company is uh, the three caballeros. um, Hold somebody else start talking. I got to look up the name of the plane. I think it's, I don't know if it's, I know there's there was a goofy cartoon because the how-to goofy cartoons were really big at this time, and there's one where goofy becomes a gaucho. Um, and then there's the plan
3: there was a big reason why the allies of all people really were invested in South America. that is because that would have opened an entirely new front. Um, mm-hmm. if the if the Nazis and their uh, uh, allies had, actually gained enough support there to gain alliances with some of the South American countries that would have opened an entire new front in the Americas. Um, As well as Brazil. Uh, Actually, the point of Brazil is the closest all the way to Africa, where they wanted to start a beachhead uh, to actually push the Nazis and uh, the Italians out of africa um so they actually wanted to start staging through brazil at a point um so that's why they were really really adamant about trying to get brazil of all the places um a lot of their funding went towards brazil and a little less uh less went to places like argentina which could be shown by the end where uh you know there was still a lot of fascist sympathy in uh argentina by the end as you know many people could tell by the end with uh, people high in the Nazi regime fleeing to Argentina and being accepted in by the government um, but Brazil, on the other hand had sent uh, thousands of troops over to Italy to actually fight during the war because of largely efforts like Walt Disney but also a large amount of um, funding in other mm. ways um, uh, mm-hmm. But Walt was kind of that that PR man. He was he was the face of the uh, the corporation of the United States, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> and
2: and that's exactly what it is. Walt Walt was selling the idea of American fun and hospitality and where the good guys. Mm-hmm. And I and I think one of the, I think it's one of the people they interview in the documentary when they're talking about Walt Disney. They they make the person made a comment, and he said, you know. Uh, I'm looking at him and I'm not seeing Walt Disney. I'm seeing Mickey Mouse. And as somebody who um, has studied Walt for a long time, that comment really touched me because the two are so synonymous with each other. A lot of people have said, you know, one became the other. And I loved that comment because of that, because that's that's essentially who Walt was. Walt was Mickey Mm. Mouse.
3: I mean, you really got to think about it. But um, at that time, um, there were three big old ideologies at that point. You had all the way to the east, you had the communists. Mm -hmm. Um, Then you had middle Europe and further east with Japan. You had the fascists that had more of a rigid control of the economy, the communists having more of, again, government control over the economy. And then you had the capitalists, which had that almost sort of more freer market. And he was that, again, he was that face of the free market. This was that pitch for more of those South American countries saying, hey, don't choose communism. Don't choose authoritarianism. Choose that free market ideal. If you choose that, look at what you get. You get cool Disney movies. We'll make some cool Disney movies for all of you. And there you go. You get all of your little kids get to watch these cool parrots do some wacky dances on a, hey, on a TV I screen. I love Jose
2: Carioca.
3: <laughs> you
2: leave Jose Carioca out of
3: this. But anyway. I'm, not, I, I'm not saying Jose Carioca doesn't have his own merits, but I'm saying he represents an ideal.
2: He does. And, and they talk about that. But before we get going, uh, I think of Dave's course. trying to dump in.
0: <laughs> um. To circle back, I mean, this was all part of Roosevelt's good neighbor policy, which did you guys actually do research on? Because a,
2: a little bit, but I know you did more.
0: I was, I was doing research on um, the uh, good neighbor policy, which was the U.S.'s first attempt not to be interventionist in Latin America, but to let Latin America do its own thing, but it would exert its own... Um, sort of influence in a more economic or a cultural standpoint. So that was part of Roosevelt's policy. Now this policy would go away once the cold war starts for obvious reasons. Um, but that was, that was Roosevelt's first initiative. So if anything, uh, Disney is part of Roosevelt's own policy points from the forties.
2: And I wouldn't, that wouldn't surprise me because I know, um, from hanging around the company and hearing different things about company history, Disney did do a lot for the war effort in World War II. I think uh, one of the buildings on the studio lot became uh, tank manufacturers. I think he was he was making uh, promotional war films, so he was already kind of working alongside the government, so I feel like this request didn't really come out of Left
0: field. Well, that was before. That was that was beforehand. So I know he, right. was doing, he was doing the. He wasn't doing the propaganda stuff until after Pearl Harbor. Once Pearl Harbor started, all of his production went towards um the war propaganda. Yes.
1: Do you guys think that it's kind of ironic all these lanes that Disney went to with all the circulation of the. Like arguments that he is was anti-Semitic and um, like a Nazi sympathizer. But what's your opinion on that, Maria? Because you and the mouse are hand in hand. You know, Pretty what the same. <laughs> I don't believe that.
2: Um, from what I know about Walt, I know Walt was really patriotic and mm-hmm. I from what I hear from people from, all right, here's what I think about Walt Disney. You hear tested. No, no, no. In seriousness, because this is a loaded question because this is like talking about, he, he's a, he's a historical figure that Mm -hmm. is deeply attached in people's sentimental psyches. So it's very hard to separate fact from fiction. And there's a lot out there that is both fact and fiction. And they often get, cross-referenced as bull as you know fact becomes fiction, fiction becomes fact. Yep. Yep. From what I can gather, Walt Disney was the people who love him loved him. The people who didn't like him didn't like him. Yep. From the people who did like him, he sounded like a wonderful guy. And I think what turned people off from him was that he was a businessman and he was mm-hmm. a very good businessman. And in my opinion, rightly so. He had this, I don't want to say empire, but for lack of a better word, he had this mini empire to run and he had to make tough decisions. From what I hear at the time, he was very inclusive. He had people on his payroll who were of different religions, different backgrounds. Um, He was very gender inclusive. He was very um, ethnically inclusive. So... And that did cause some pushback. Like I've heard certain accounts who did from people that didn't like that certain animators were being promoted because of their religion or that there was a songwriting team that, you know, Walt knew and love and they got a, a lot of flack because of their religion. Cause they, you know, they were Jewish, which they were the best. I don't care what anybody says. They were the best songwriting team in the industry, the Sherman brothers. But, uh, you know, he had African-American animators and people got mad about that. And he's like, listen, and I think, I don't know if this is a quote on paper or if this is something I heard in passing, but Walt very much had the mentality of if you're good at what you do, I want you to do it. If you're Mm -hmm. good at what you do and I like the work that you do, I want you to do it. And that's, that's, that's from the people who like him.
1: (laughs) Right, yeah, I just... I just bring it up because, like, it is World War Two, and yes. you know, so many people do have do, that mind there's, frame. There's or no,
2: opinion. Proof, as far as I know, there's no proof that he was anti Semitic or a Nazi sympathizer, yeah. and the fact that I, I mean, so I don't know. I mean, you could, you could, Somebody could always argue he was being a double agent, but the fact that he went on a seven-month goodwill tour to promote the United States to South America, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, uh, you know, he's not a Nazi sympathizer. That's... What, Derek? <laughs> I will
3: say... <laughs> Although he was promoting America, he was also promoting his own company very much.
2: Absolutely, oh absolutely. And again, something like that—it's just good business. He gets to go and do his patriotic duty, but he
1: also—vacation.
2: Yeah, I feel like that was anything but a vacation. Hmm. Yeah, but.
3: I mean, by the by the last country he got to, he he got very tired of shaking hands with politicians. He well, wouldn't you? he, I I mean, I definitely would. Um, going through many different countries, I trying to well. trying to keep that patriotic. Uh, patriotic stem up about hey oh here is I'm the representation of America by the end he's just like hey I'm done with politics let me just meet with actual artists
2: hang on all right. before I jump in I think Dave's trying to jump in so Dave
0: so going back to the patriotic thing another thing I would say was the HUAC hearings that him and Reagan were a part of and (laughs) yeah, I'm seeing the face out of everyone right now, and everyone's like, "Oh boy, here we go. Here we go. So I'm excited. I'm happy I brought this up. So no, <laughs> Thanks, I, Lauren. I'm, and, Anytime. I'm, and I'm reading the the human act stuff. and, you know, Reagan's Reagan. And <clears> I get to Walt, and I get the point of view he's coming from, but I also, I get to the end, and it's very striking. I think this is Walt's character. Mm-hmm. He was not a communist. He hated no. communists. But Thank
2: you.
0: he also believed that they shouldn't be outlawed because people had the right to be who they wanted to be. And if it didn't fit in America, they would be weaned out by American values and American society. And he was not pushing mm-hmm. that agenda. So and then- that, that I mean, that's the, the striking thing. is That's why I don't think he was a Nazi because he would have disagreed with them because they were against you know American values. And but he also would have said we shouldn't write a law to outlaw them if they aren't meant to be in this country
1: our values will push them away right live and let live because they'll get their you know and i agree with
2: i agree with that i had heard that he had testified at huac committees and hearings and you're right he and that's he was very pro american he and and something like that where somebody could even argue that that mindset of they shouldn't be outlawed. It's it's to me, that's about as pro-American as it gets.
3: Yeah. I mean, if, if you're looking at anything who like anyone who would be a fascist sympathizer, they usually instantly go against any ideals that directly oppose them. So if someone were to have those ideals of, Hey, well, you know, let let the actual public determine what is good and what is moral that's not normally the, the fascist way, it's usually no. eliminate anything that does not agree with us immediately so those people do not get to choose what happens Correct. so I, I, I think Walt Walt might have been a person of his time absolutely so, and again we we definitely have to look at people in the past with a different lens because, of course, they had different views than we do today, and of course, they had views that seem somewhat backwards to what we think as a modern day person. Um, I'm definitely not, you know, saying, oh well, you know, people who thought slavery was totally cool is great. I don't agree with that. That's pretty bad. But for his time, I think that he might have been actually somewhat either center or, you know, a little bit more understanding of things than, I don't know, Joseph McCarthy or, you know. You, so, can, some, you can call him yeah, progressive. Yeah,
2: and it's, it's time, weird because I would describe him as conservative, but he was a conservative progressive, if that makes any sense. A
1: conservative with progressive Well, meanings. He dabbled. You you mean he's
3: conservative economically, but progressive socially.
1: There you go. So
0: he's a libertarian? Is that what you're saying? I don't know. We have to ask him. Well, conservative, (laughs)
3: social... (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Oh,
0: God. (laughs) Here we
2: go. (laughs) Off the political bandwagon, but I'm kind of glad you brought that up, Lauren, because anytime you talk about, like I said, anytime you talk about Walt Disney... It's gonna come up. It's It's gonna gonna come up. And he's somebody that's so, like I said, anytime you say his name, there's always a knee-jerk reaction. People either love him or they hate him. And Mm -hmm. there's about a billion facts in between why they like him and why they hate him. And I notice more than not half times people the things people have to say about him, it's more fiction than it is fact.
3: So
1: so anyway.
3: I, I will say I did watch a small amount of um the original documentary about this trip, South of the Border. Mm-hmm. Um and from what I saw, um, it was absolutely beautiful, at least. Mm. You know, like especially back then when you didn't have as much uh like infrastructure and development, you know, of like, you know, beach development and all that. When it was back to like more of a time where like Tourist traps didn't really exist as much. You mean when
0: nature actually outweighed man? Yeah,
3: yeah, that. Um, (laughs) it it was actually pretty beautiful. Um, but it definitely seemed like a lot of them learned a lot of the culture. Like it was more of a cultural trip.
2: And I and I agree with you. And I think that's one of the things that I kind of found not shocking during the documentary. But the documentary doesn't. And and I'm glad you guys watched it because please correct me if I'm wrong. But from my understanding, when I watched the documentary, it focuses more on their cultural exploration of the South American areas versus them meeting with political figures. Like I was waiting to see archival footage or a testimony of Walt sitting down with someone, an official or a, a president of a country And having this conversation and they they hinted these things that he went and did these things. But the documentary doesn't really get at that. The documentary talks more about the creative side of stuff of them doing cultural research for the films that they would go back and create once they went back to California.
0: I think the biggest thing that documentary is trying to show was the cultural development of Disney more than the political advancements of Disney.
1: I agree. Yeah. It was definitely more of a, like, you know, they're going here. Like you said, Maria, they definitely hinted that the political stuff was happening, and it definitely was. Probably more than what they showed, but it was more them showing like the different sketches based off where they went and what they did, like talk about sugar loaf and stuff like that.
2: Yeah. And like you see, they, they had like, um, they went to, uh, they went to authentic, uh, events. They took dancing lessons. Mm -hmm. uh, They went to all these different national monuments and, uh, geographical points of interest. So there's a lot of cultural exploration and they would talk to people and they went to museums. And like I said, there's a lot of cultural exploration, but at one point the historian in me, when I was watching the documentary, or I should say not the historian, cause I'm not a historian, the history student in me, when I was watching documentaries, I was like, I, I was like, okay, this is a beautiful moving art piece. But where's 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 the political conversations?
1: Right, I know, like, in our group chat, we were like, we get it, it's beautiful, keep talking, like, get to it. I, I don't know... Sorry, go I, ahead. Dude. One,
0: Maria, you are a historian. We're all historians. Yeah, one. first of all... We're,
2: we're baby historians, though.
0: That's fine, but we're still historians. Secondly, You're I... Your,
1: Sorry, I was gonna say you're getting your master's degree. You're a historian. Welcome to the club. Thanks. Do we get t-shirts? Yeah, it says I. I'm sorry. (laughs) sorry. I
0: I expect this much. Okay. Um, no, but I mean that's the other thing about history. You know, that's if anything, this documentary connects beautifully what we're doing because history isn't just political stuff. It's Mm -hmm. the cultural developments. It's the it's all the other developments that happen. It's not just the economics and political. No matter what, no matter what historian says, that's not always the case. And this movie does a good job of doing that.
2: And I agree because I love cultural history, but. When someone says to me that there's a documentary of Walt Disney going down to South America as a Goodwill ambassador, I want to hear Walt Disney talk politics. I want, I mean, and I'm sure for reasons, those conversations probably weren't recorded or anything like that, but I, I don't know. I wanted to hear what Walt had to say. I wanted to hear what these conversations were taking place and they, they never get to that. They never allude to it. What's up, Derek?
3: I will say that uh, the South of the Border had a little bit more Disney in it, but um, it was, again, it was one of those propaganda films that was like, hey, here's what we did. This was awesome. We actually learned a lot of culture. Here's what these, uh, these instruments are. I'm going to tell you how it works because they actually explained all the instruments and how they actually made the sounds and everything. That was really mm-hmm. cool. Um, but it... it that documentary was more made as I'd say a interesting look into the art form of everything. Um, and it was also a very interesting directing form of that art form. Um, because they, they had a lot of modern footage mixed with that back then footage.
2: Yeah. Uh, Archival footage.
3: Yeah, the archival footage, because, I mean, when you looked at the South of the Border, it was just, of course, everything from 1940s, because that's when it was released. But then that, they had part of the South of the Border uh, footage, as well as this modern, updated footage when they actually went back there to talk with the people that had actually seen everything. Um, It was an interesting look at everything. I just don't know if if they had actually gone more with a they didn't have a direct purpose, I think. This was more of a here's what we did. And they threw it up on a board and said, Let's find everything that is on that board. If if you if you have that wide of a purpose for a movie it, it goes around very erratically. And I felt that, that that uh documentary kind of felt erratic. Uh Lauren, I I see you have your hand up.
1: Uh first of all I agree. Um but also like the um mm. Disney Plus one, the El Grupo one definitely gave off Netflix vibes. Just the way that it went from like old to new. Oh god. Bye, Derek. Um, And second, I think they should have made it abundantly clear that it would... Well, they were trying to do too much. And I feel like it would have helped them a lot if they said, like, we are looking at the art forms and the cultures in this documentary. And then, I mean, Disney wants to make money. Make a second one. Make a second one about the politics. You know, like... and, And But see, here's the thing.
2: And I gotta wonder, because it almost makes sense that they are focusing on the art. Because... At the end of the day, Walt Disney, as much as he's there to be a Goodwill ambassador for the United States, he's an artist. He's a filmmaker. Walt Disney uh, was an artist before he, you know, hired a bunch of other artists to start making stuff. So people who are going on this Goodwill tour are not politicians and, you know formal speakers. They're musicians, they're filmmakers, they're artists, they're animators, they're, you know, story people. So the take they have on what they're seeing is going to almost come from an artistic standpoint, because that's, that's what they are. They're not trained politicians, they're trained artists. So I can see why the film would take a more artistic approach. I think maybe that's a bias we have going into the film is that us as history people, we're looking for more of the concrete history stuff, whereas maybe a person who's either more Disney-focused or somewhere in the middle who's not so much a history person, not so much a Disney person, an average person, could maybe get more out of this documentary than we did. I will say not not to... um, bash it but out of a lot of disney documentaries i've seen whether they be about the company or about walt walt and el grupo is probably the weakest one i have seen
3: i i will say that um the the filmmaker of uh walt and el grupo uh was made by theodore thomas the uh the son of the uh the, uh, the wonderful, uh, great animator, Frank Thomas. Okay. Um, so I think it was more, personally, I feel like it was more of an homage to the, the great animators and everyone who went there more mm-hmm. than a historical look. Um, that's, that's just a personal ideal. I don't know if that's reflected by everyone, but I feel like that was more of a piece that, was supposed to look at everyone that had went there, read off their interesting uh, little notes and memos they had written down, and just kind of reflect on the entire journey as a whole, Resident saying, this is exactly what had happened. Here's what, like, any interesting, like, historical fact. They, they, they more wanted to talk about their experiences as a group. I, I, I think, at least. Uh, does anyone want to comment on that?
0: I also think it's a product of its time. So, to put it in retrospect, this one is not a newer Disney documentary. It's a 2009 Disney documentary. Um, fun fact, the only reason why I knew about that was because NPR did a story about the documentary. which So, that's the only reason why I knew when it came out. Um, but I think Disney saw this film and was like, maybe it shouldn't be like this in the newer documentaries have reflected off of that. So I think it's just a, a product of its time.
2: Well, to to kind oh go go ahead, Lauren. Go ahead.
1: I was just gonna say we're also very cynical people. So I'm sure people out there would really like it <laughs> where you just are never happy. <laughs> true, <laughs> well,
3: true, true, true. Well
1: that's what it's not that we're never happy, and that's what
2: I meant by when I said maybe somebody who's more of a Disney person or somebody who's not coming into this with historical training. Because we came in looking for something. The four of us went into this documentary looking for more history than we did Disney. And I think that's our bias that we have to look at. Whereas, like you said, somebody else who's not us, who's not a history person, they might watch this and say, well, wow, this documentary was really great. I really enjoyed hearing about these per- people's personal experiences.
1: Right. It's like, um, you know, going into... Well, I guess anything, but like say we went into it with a certain expectation and because that expectation was not what it was, we didn't like it. But I think if someone went in with no expectation, just saying, oh, that seems interesting Hmm. or saying, oh, it's going to be cultural or artistic, that's cool, um, then, you know, they might get more out of it.
2: Exactly. And
1: I um,
2: totally lost my train of thought. You said something that I wanted to capitalize on, but I forgot it. Dave. Dave.
0: I just want to take a moment to recognize one part of the movie when it said Walt Disney had went down. I think it was to Argentina. It was either Argentina or Brazil. But they went... But Walt went down and said... And the country said to the German ambassador, you need to leave. It was Argentina?
2: Walt,
0: it was Argentina. I thought that was great. I was like, dude, this is... All, I, I literally looked at Laura and was like, you know... This ambassador just told to go shove because Walt Disney's in town. How great is that? Yeah, you out. Walt's here. The other question I had from that, because I was listening to it, and, you know, Hitler sent his people over, and Roosevelt sent his people to South America. I wonder if the Germans sent an up-and-coming animator to Argentina, Brazil, to try and be, you know, try and foster that that culture, connect the cultures together.
2: Try to one up Walt. I mean, does it not make sense? It would, it would make sense. I mean, I would love to know. And again, it, to me, it just sounds funny. Like I want to know who the Nazis sent because Roosevelt sent Walt Disney. It's like out of everybody I would have ever expected to hear Roosevelt pick Walt Disney would have never even been in the room for me. But again, it makes sense because Walt's not selling politics. Walt's selling culture. Like Derek said, he's selling the capitalism. He's selling the, the can do spirit. He's Walt selling is the,
1: selling Walt. Walt is selling Walt. <laughs> he's sell-
2: no, but for real. And, and, you know, especially outside of America, uh, from people who I've met at the Disney camp. Walt is known as a very ingenuitive can do person. And one of the things I feel that his legacy has left behind is this idea of that can do spirit. And that's something he's known for. And I feel like if, if Roosevelt is going to pick somebody to sell culture, who, who better to sell as far as good, wholesome American ingenuity than Walt Disney.
3: So, I mean, like the Germans in the propaganda campaign of the, the Nazis thrived on their ideal information. They they thrived on state information. So, if they had sent someone, uh, again I haven't researched this. Um, if they had sent someone, it wouldn't be someone like Walt Disney. It would be someone that would be able to thrive on state information. Someone who could take over the entire country's information system. That would lock down that information system and block anyone who would go against that state.
2: So and that's Hitler? that's yeah, really. But see, that sounds like a very that sounds like a very Nazi thing to do. Like that's who I would expect them to send. I would not that I would almost expect the Americans to send in Walt Disney, but at least I got a laugh out of you guys for that. So
1: Nazi of them <laughs>
3: It kind of (laughs) tracks.
2: And then Dave, you had said something about um, the documentary being a thing of its time from 2009. I actually want to point out a counterpoint to that because there is another fantastic Disney documentary that I, if anybody is interested in any kind of Disney history, um, there's a documentary that can be found on Disney plus it's widely available in multiple places. It's called waking Sleeping Beauty, and this documentary is all about the Disney Renaissance from the mid mid to late 80s to the uh, mid 90s, and it is probably my favorite Disney documentary I've ever seen. It's a fantastic story. It's an eye-opening story, and when you compare these two, they both came out in two thousand. And, maybe, and there are two different types of documentaries. Like like we've said, you know, so many times before, the Walton El Grupo was kind of more of a memoir where it's looking at the culture and what these people did. Whereas Waking Sleeping Beauty has archival footage, it has testimonies from the people who are you know, involved in what's going on. So there's there's more of a concrete like storyline. There's more facts and information being thrown around. So, like I said, Walt and El Grupo, as far as the Disney documentaries I've seen, it's the weakest, but it's also a different type of documentary. I also want to just name drop *Waking Sleeping Beauty* because I think that's one of the best Disney documentaries ever. Watch it. That and the uh, *The Boys*. The Boys is another fantastic one. That one is about the Sherman Brothers, who were a Disney songwriting team uh, at the Walt Disney Studio in the 50s and 60s. And The Boys was actually Walt's nickname for the duo. One was a lyricist, one was a songwriter. And they're responsible for all the music from Mary Poppins. They are responsible for music in the theme parks like... um, it's a Small World, The Enchanted Tiki Room, Carousel of Progress. Uh, I'm pretty sure they they did a Pirates, The Pirates' Life for me from Pirates of the Caribbean, but don't quote me on that one. But they th- as far as being embedded in Disney culture in their time, they were the it team for Walt. So that's that's another fantastic documentary, and both those documentaries are on Disney Plus.
0: I just want to take a moment to point this out because I've heard a lot of I've heard a lot of things about about Walt. Uh-huh. One thing that struck me out of the blue was when he's picking, you know, when the 18 come out. Originally it was a 17, I think until Mary Baker
2: Mary um,
0: Blair Mary Blair. Blair's husband looked at Bla- looked at Mary and said, "Well, if you want to go on, then go talk to Walt himself." Mm-hmm. And she went and talk to Walt himself next thing you know she's on the flight and she becomes what one of his most favorite artists oh as
2: absolutely. As how
0: much she develops in the th- oh
2: yeah
0: in the three months it's not just like they're there for a year they're there for only three months traveling these three countries
2: Girl, and, power, again, but and and again that's what I mean when I say Walt was very progressive for his time period he was very gender inclusive He recognized that Mary Blair was a great artist, somebody whose artistry, you know, came. Because I think they talk about that in the documentary too that Mary Blair's art style was really impacted by this trip to South America and that her, first of all, if if anybody knows anything about Mary Blair as an artist, from what I've learned from just studying here through the lens of Disney, she was a great colorist. She could do things with color from what I understand that, you know, was revolutionary for her time. And then on top of that, like you said, Dave, he, not that he could be persuaded, but if you could sell him, he, he was sold. Like he, Mary Blair walked in there. She must have had a great argument and he's like, all right, you can come. And then I'm really glad he did because once she went on the trip and, you know, her skills improved and they were affected, uh, I believe she is one of the leading contributors to the it's a small world attraction. I think that was all her art style, uh, lady and the tramp, Peter Pan, uh, Alice in Wonderland, Cinderella, uh, basically a lot of the Silver Age of animation too also comes from her. There's a lot of her influence that can be seen in the art style of those films. To, to talk about some of the stuff that actually came out of, uh, and, and, and something else to refer back to the documentary too, uh, the title, I thought the title was really cute when they explain it, that uh, when they were in Rio in Brazil, And they would have to wait in the lobby of the hotel. Uh, They never knew what they were going to have to do that day. And the tour guides would come in and they would say, you know, O Grupo Disney, O Grupo Disney, Disney O Grupo. And that's kind of like the moniker that they started going by and calling themselves on the trip. So I think that's kind of cool that that made its way into the name of the documentary.
3: Yeah, they really did just call themselves the group
2: squad if you will squad so Saludos Amigos was the name of the film that came out of the trip to South America and as we said it's got um, El Gaucho Goofy which is a goofy cartoon about how to be a gaucho it's got Pedro the plane which is I believe that's the story that takes place in is it Chile Let's see, Pedro. I think so. Chile, yes, because they tried to do a segment on each of the places they visited. So Pedro is Chile. He's is is for Chile. He's a little plane that has to deliver a letter. And they actually, I really liked this in the documentary. And again, I think it's a testimony to what Walt to Walt was. Uh, the letter that Pedro the plane is carrying in the short is a letter that is addressed to a friend that Walt made on the trip. Did you guys no. catch that at the end of the documentary? No, that's so cute.
0: I mean, it makes sense. I mean, they all were touched by one thing or another. I mean, you had a, you had pictures of Walt dancing.
2: I loved <laughs> I mean, those.
0: <laughs> I mean, it honestly, it makes sense. I didn't catch it at the end, um, but that does make sense that Um, The plane was in reference to a friend he made.
2: Yeah, I believe it's carrying like a little letter and the letter is addressed to that individual. Um, Then there's... I am going to butcher this. I apologize for anybody who speaks Portuguese. It is the Aqualera de Brasil, which is translated, it is the watercolor of Brazil, which it's the finale of the movie... Uh, And it involves a, it involves Jose Carioca, which at the time he was a character that premiered for it. And Jose Carioca is from Rio de Janeiro. And basically the whole uh, concept of the cartoon with Jose is that he has to show Donald Duck how to be South American. So he, he's going to show him how to be Brazilian and the whole idea of having Donald Duck with Jose Carioca is it's the best of both worlds. It's American and South America and they have to work together to show each other their cultures. I'm pretty sure that that was the idea of that. Yeah, that was really cute. There was another segment in the film. It was called uh, Lake Titicaca, which is where Donald Duck is a tourist and he goes and talks to the locals. And I think he makes friends with a llama.
1: I could be wrong. Oh my God! Emperor's New Groove.
3: <laughs> I mean, Lake Lake Titicaca has a huge amount of history as well. Mm-hmm. That's that's a wonderful, wonderful place. Um, you know, it's it's literally uh, where a floating um, city pretty much exists. Yeah. Um, that that pretty much starved off an entire empire. By just saying we're not gonna we're not gonna fight. We're just gonna push our entire city away from the shore so you cannot attack us.
1: And it worked. Uh,
3: and, and it, it worked. worked
1: for a while.
3: <laughs> hey, I mean they're still around today, so Yeah, that's true. <laughs> there's
2: your there's your sub history lesson inside of a history lesson. Whoa. So I feel like I've been talking a lot. Does anybody else have anything they wanna say or add?
1: I didn't know any of this, so this was like super interesting.
2: It was, and 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 I think this is one of the things we talk about when we came up with the slogan for the show, where history is more than what you remember. And I think Dave and Derek have alluded to this. Uh, it, history is more than politics. It's more than dates and battles and you know documents. It's culture. And art and whatever, anything can be considered history. And yeah, I, before this documentary, even as a Disney fan and as a history student, I had never heard about this.
1: Right, all you hear is he's the mouse guy yeah. that makes all the cute movies. Right.
2: <laughs> what about you, Dave?
0: Um, It's kind of ironic we're doing this episode when, we di- when we're doing it, so Friday... Um, I did a lesson with my students, and we were talking about culture, and I looked at them and I said, you know, culture outlasts a military empire, and ju- this proves it.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, the mouse went to Argentina roughly 40 years ago, and actually 80 years ago, it's, 21, it's 2021, and we're still talking about that. The empi- the The mouse empire is still around.
2: Hopefully so, for a very long time.
0: So, I mean, it just proves that, if anything, historians should look more at culture than just at the borders of some place.
3: I agree. I, I think that it's interesting look, um, because if you look at culture um, on its own, you have a much Better clear perspective on history than if you just look at solely war or um, any kind of expansionism.
2: Agreed. Agreed. So i I think we're I think we're all kind of in a unanimous consensus here.
0: If anything, if you don't watch uh, Walt and El Grupo Recently, other stuff is there's a lot of interesting stuff that happens to the Disney company during this time as well. That
2: that's something we didn't talk Do about. Do we want to get into that? Well, we should because we we didn't talk about it, and it, I feel like it's a big part of the beginning. So something else that happened, and and for a long time, there's actually there's there's a lot of rumors. So right before this happened, there was a. Massive company strike. I think up until recently, I don't know if it was, it was the first strike in company's history. I'm not sure if it was the only strike. I'm not super 100% knowledgeable in that. Um, I doubt it was the only strike. Uh, But there was a big strike at the studio. And right at this time was the time that the government kind of pulled Walt for this trip. So Walt had to leave the negotiations up to the labor board. And uh, if if you don't know, Roy was kind of like a silent partner in the Walt Disney company. So if Walt was the face and the idea man, Roy was the numbers and the businessman and they worked together. So they don't come out and say it, but I'm, I'm willing to bet that Roy probably helped handle negotiations, and it got sticky with the the strike.
0: Can I just say? So the other thing I did research on today was all the strike stuff because I went down a strike a strike rabbit hole, mm-hmm. and there is so much conflicting arguments. Yep. For the strike. So yes. in the doc in the documentary, it does mention the strike It mentions how Walt this is the time that Waltz pulled is when the strikes is starting. Mm-hmm. So from the documentary side of it, one day everything's peachy. The next day the company split 50-50. There are 50% of the workers who want to unionize and 50% who don't want to unionize. And from some of the stuff I was seeing I I was doing research on today. It's sort of the same, but later stuff shows that it's more, not universal, but there's a larger pool that wanted to unionize. So the strike was happening, but also there were some historians, and I'm definitely blasting other historians right now, who neglected the fact that FDR, President Roosevelt sent Walt on this... um, this goodwill mission, they said, oh, he just abruptly left. So, that was the other part. So, the strike happens, but it seems clear that historians aren't sure how it happens, where it starts, or even are biased in it, because I was blasting other historians and their biasness. One person said, oh, we hope this book would reveal the anti-Semitism and all that in Walt Disney, and So at that point, it's like, all right, well, what are we doing here? If we're not actually being objective about learning about the strike and learning about Disney, what's the point of being a historian? If we're looking for facts to confirm our own biases, then shouldn't be here.
2: You're 100% correct. And and more often than not, that's one of the biggest things with historians is that an improperly trained historian goes in looking to confirm their own biases. Whereas a properly trained historian goes in looking for objectives that give a full and fair narrative. You want both sides. Cause more often than not, there's two sides of the story and then there's the truth, which is what the historian tries to put together. Right.
1: Preach.
0: Yeah. So I was doing research on the Strikes, and it's all, even after 80 years, but today's the, this year would be the 80th, 80th. anniversary of yep. the Strike, and it's, it's murky. Still, it's still, it, there's no information, there's no clear information on it.
2: It's very murky. I I don't even know a lot about it. And like you said, there's not a lot from the bits and pieces I've heard. What you've, what you've covered is what I've heard. If there is other information out there, I could have just not found it. Um, But that, that misconception of Walt just up and left, that's a common misconception from a lot of historians. Like I've heard that narrative more than once that there was one um, source Uh, That I'll put on blast. I was watching a documentary once and um, I think they said something like he was removed from the studio uh, because he couldn't be present in negotiations because he couldn't handle it. And I'm like, no, like, like you said, the president of the United States asked him to do a goodwill tour. That's not, that's not him not being present because he can't handle the negotiations. That's, that's him listening to the president of the United States.
0: And if anything, that shows how patriotic um, Walt is. And I mean, the government doesn't forget about that. I mean, they send federal negotiators, which that process is also murky. Mm -hmm. So and I won't bore everyone with it, but there's there's one person who said to Walt Disney that I will pound this place into dust um, when the negotiation starts. And that's why I think conflictual because beforehand a couple of days it's a 50 50 split in the company they have this person who threatens you that oh i'll turn your company into a dust bowl like how are you supposed to respond
2: well uh, and, and, he, and even that walt wanted to do the diplomatic thing because i think part of the california labor law was that it had to go to a vote and he wanted to put it to a vote he wanted to get the labor board in there and that person who you're referencing Wanted to skip that process. And he said, no, listen, I'll just level you flat out. And I don't know a lot about how union negotiations work or whatnot. But I thought that I was like, how is that legal?
0: Along with that, the per- the, the same person who said that comment, and I'm going to finish this up so that way Derek can say his thing, um, yes. is that the person that said, oh, the labor board is the weapon that I use, when I, how I want to use them.
2: Mm, I caught that. Derek, the floor is yours. No?
1: Oh, I guess Derek has nothing to add. Um, He's too so busy th- making fun of me in the group chat. Uh, <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> then Dave, David
2: and I will keep playing tennis then, because we're just going back and forth. Um. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how that works. And like I said, I can only... You know, something else they bring up in the documentary was you have these people... Because the Disney studio, so the Disney studio expanded after Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Walt made a crap ton of money on that movie. And he turned around and he put all, I think they said it was like three or four million, um, which back then that was a huge amount of money. Uh, he, he turned around and he put that into a new studio. And the studio grew leaps and bounds uh, employee wise. And I think that's where the split came, is you have people who have been with Walt from the beginning at this point, and Walt has the nickname of Uncle Walt because he, he's he's Uncle Walt. He has that persona. But then you have people who were coming into the company who were not, I don't want to use the word indoctrinated, but they... They, they didn't start out with Disney. They don't have that rapport. I don't think they had that sentimental attachment. Um, and they they kind of felt that they were being treated unfairly or whatnot. And I think that's where that 50-50 split in the studio comes from. I had something much more intelligent to say, and then I lost it halfway through.
0: But no, I mean, it's just,
3: It's just interesting,
0: and I know some of the stuff I've read have been painted Walt in a very negative Union viewpoint, and it's just like, no, that's not all of it. There's some key factors here that you're missing, bud.
2: I find that more people, when they talk about Walt Disney, they're looking to work against him rather than for him. And again, like I said, I, I think it's... I think the job of a good history person is to go in looking for the most truthful and objective narrative. If you're only going in to confirm a bias that or a preconceived notion that you have, then what are you objectively looking at?
1: Thank you so much for tuning into this month's episode. We appreciate all of you who do. We are in our sixth month of having our podcast. So, thank you especially to everyone who has been following us for the past six months, everyone that is nice to us on Twitter, everyone who listens, and anyone that puts up with us for more than 15 seconds. We really we love appreciate you. it. We love you. Uh, next month, I will be taking the reins and I will be bringing us back to the 17th century. Not sure what we're going to do yet, but it's going to be great either way. Um, if you enjoyed listening to Maria, you can still catch older episodes of It's a Fan's World with Maria and our amazing, beautiful friend, Kelly. Wherever you get your podcasts, they'll be back behind the mic soon. Uh, and before I really do our outro, I think that David has something to add. I actually do. Thank you, Lauren.
0: Um, So, last month, January, I was not just featured on here i was thankfully invited to out of the blank space if y'all checked it out it is a local man's version of joe rogan uh, where he does interviews with all different people from different fields um and for some reason he thought it'd be a good idea to bring me on so we talk environmental stuff in january in his january episode it is episode two t- 674, where we talk environment and history. So if you have not listened to Out of the Blank, go ahead and give that a listen and tell them that David sent you along.
1: And not to be biased or anything, but I think it's their best episode. Aw, thanks, Lauren. Yeah, I can't
2: imagine why we would be, we would hmm, be biased. No
1: idea. Um... All right. As always, please download, rate, review, and subscribe to Operation History on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It's an easy and quick way for you to show your love and support. We have not gotten our first review yet. Will it be a 5 or a 1? Let's find out. Uh, the suspense is killing us. The suspense is killing me because I don't know where I'm at. Okay, Give us a like on our Facebook page, Operation History, on Facebook.com. I think our actual at is facebook.com slash operationhistory, so that's pretty cool. Uh, you can reach us out to us via our Twitter, at Operation Hist, that's Operation H-I-S-T. Um, I'm the mastermind behind the Twitter, so it gets a little bit interesting. Uh, last night we were talking about Ghost Towns, so when this comes out, go scroll through our feed and tell us what you think about Ghost Towns. You can also email us at Podcast at gmail.com. There you can ask us any questions that you have about the show um, or something that you want to hear. Or just say hi. We haven't really gotten any emails yet. And we also have a website now. It is Operation History Podcast. Dot WordPress.com. That's operation history podcast. Wordpress.com. You will see some information about your lovely hosts. You will see some information about our past and upcoming episodes, as well as links to those uh previous episodes. You can also, I think, I think you can reach out to us there too. All right, does anyone else have anything to add? Perfect. Have a safe and wonderful night, everybody. We will see you in March. This is Operation History signing off.
2: association with any of the institutions or organizations mentioned in this podcast. The views and expressions of the hosts and guests are theirs and theirs alone and do not represent any academic institutions, organizations, or companies that they currently work for or attend or that they have previously worked for or attended in the past. Thanks for listening and tune in next time for Operation History.
1: my valentine's day. sure
3: how much you're paying
1: um in my undying hatred for the bureaucracy you know I'm what, leaving money I'm
0: valentine's day. my bourbon claimed to me what's mm-hmm. the matter you cut out my bourbon claimed me for valentine's day oh the bourbon I love that for
3: you <laughs> I, I didn't write the
2: ending of the script fuck Nah. You
1: have no, no closing <laughs> outro. Shit, fuck. Hold on. Hey, Hold Maria. On.
2: Yeah.
1: How much do pirates pay for corn? A buccaneer. I hate you. I hate you. I, I hate you. you because you like that. that was
3: good. That was, good. that
1: was good. That, <laughs> that was good. That
3: was
2: Did tell good. me you didn't come up with that by yourself?
1: It's on our corny jokes wall at work.
3: Corny <laughs> uh, jokes. <goodness. laughs> <Thank laughs> the, the fact um, that you have a wall
1: is why can't you tell secrets on the farm? Why? why? <laughs> Cuz the potatoes have eyes and the corn has ears. <laughs> And the missing link there that I saw online was and the beans stock. But that's a little bit too deep for Anna, <laughs> a, a <grist> mill
2: <laughs>
1: in that's, New England. Is that what you get when you work where you work? Is that about as good as it gets? <sighs> I have corn kernels on my desk right now, so I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Um, I have a very loaded question for all of us. Oh, fuck.
3: Love loaded reading questions.
1: reading the intro? Huh? Oh, just shit. Reading
2: the intro. I'm out. I um, can't do it. Uh, Derek, <laughs> you should do it.
3: <laughs> yeah, I did also just down a bunch
2: of... Vodka. Oh, but he just did it at Christmas, too. Wow.
3: I did also last, do that. Oh,
2: technically it's Dave... Well, technically it should be me, because Lauren did Dave's. Uh, I'll, I'll do it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I, Dave.
3: I, I did do it for the last one. I did Yeah, you that.
2: did You did it for Christmas. Yeah, uh, See? Do I... Where are my notes? I got my notes and your notes mixed up. Okay. Um, My notes.
3: I'm not even logged into the notes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Nothing matters. We all die.
2: Okay. All right. I've got about 20 million tabs on my computer open, so it should crash any second. Perfect.
3: Perfect. Perfect. We are ready. (laughs) We
2: are ready to go.
1: (laughs) All right. Jerk.
3: I am ready.
1: Warren. I was born ready, I'm just changing my glasses so that I get a headache. I get that. Maria? Punch it, Chewie.
0: Me, 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 me.
2: Hello, (laughs) welcome to Opera. What the fuck? That was my fault, that was so my fault. I forgot to put half, but they have fandom-related conversations. (laughs) That was completely my fault. I take full responsibility for that. Alright, I'm sorry for the beginning again. (laughs) <laughs> oh, this
3: is beautiful.
2: <laughs> do we get See? to take a drink every time someone messes up? Yep. Yeah. Okay. That's <laughs> a long time. All right.
3: Oh God, okay. this is just yeah, gonna, gonna make it you. worse. Wait, wait <laughs>
2: Let me let me do it again. Where they have. Okay,
3: I, have I will say.
2: <laughs> random related conversations about it should be mainly mainly about all things Disney stuff. Okay, go ahead. That should
3: be good. If it's not, I apologize again. Ad-lib. Ready? Three, two, one. I don't remember what the fuck I said. (laughs) You said that we're watching... You said that we're watching... We watched the documentary called Walt and El Well. Okay. What's
1: up? I I want Wendy's so bad, bro. (laughs) Do it. I I ate my... Go ahead. I'm not on this realm anymore, my man.
0: <laughs> it's okay. I ate my be- the last of my beef stroganoff I made, and now I want Chinese food. It's
2: okay. I had Chinese
1: food for dinner. My mom wanted it. And I am I'm pretty. In, but she don't even know what's about to happen here on this. I, day. I, Hello,
3: I'm. Angel. I'm quite white time? girl wasted right now. <laughs> like
1: it? I'm Say proud. Hi. of you. Oh. Me and Joe won't text me back about Wendy's. I'm upset. I'm gonna get it anyway, but.
0: I've already anyway. ordered. Science food.
1: Woohoo. So I will